0: Hi everyone, welcome to the podcast Breathe Dash for Health. And I just want to start off with a disclaimer: this podcast is for listening and information purposes only. Please consult your healthcare provider for any health concerns or questions. All right. So today we have a very special guest, Dr. Cheney from UCR School of Medicine, and so. Dr. Cheney focuses on health disparities and the social aspects of medicine. And I thought she'd be a great asset to this podcast considering our last episode talked about how this is creating a health disparity for farm workers. All right, so let's get started. So Dr. Cheney, would you address what is a health disparity?
1: Sure. So first, thank you for inviting me to this podcast. Of course, um, thank you for coming. You are welcome. So when I think about a health disparity, for me, it's uh, important to visualize things. And so if we're talking about the Salton Sea, for instance, we know that there is a number of different health disparities. Um, One example is childhood asthma. So we know that it is an example of a health disparity because children who live along the Salton Sea, there's a much higher prevalence or rate in which they will experience childhood asthma. So when we think about who's living along the Salton Sea, it's primarily Latinx and indigenous Mexican. so children of Latinx and indigenous Mexican um, parents or caregivers. And what we know is that children who are living along the sea that uh, have those characteristics, they have about 20 to 25% or 20, actually it's more 20, 22% statistics indicate that they have rates um, among that child, population rates of childhood asthma. When we think about the rest of the state, it's about, I want to say 10% and then also 10% nationally. And so what we know is that there is about double the percent probability that an individual, a child who lives along the Salton Sea will have that greater chance of having asthma. And so when we think about health disparities, we would consider that to be a disparity in health, meaning that the closer you live to the sea, which also it's very likely that that individual, particularly if it's a child, will be of a racial ethnic background that's of a minority status, that they're at a greater risk than other racial minority groups of having childhood asthma. By the mere fact that they live closer to the sea. but they live closer to the sea because of the occupations that their families are living with, live in, or working in, sorry, and then also because of the cost of living. And so when we think about disparities in health, it's these other social, economic, educational factors, a whole bunch of different things that go into creating some groups that are more vulnerable than others. And unfortunately, that vulnerability is represented in many ways in our health and health outcomes.
0: Yeah, wow, that's very good information. And it also coincides with the research our group has found. So our group found that, like what you said, that it has an increased rate of childhood asthma and the closer you live, obviously the more health issues, asthma just reaching the surface. So it definitely is clear indicators of a health disparity. And that was a great overview. A lot of people, when we were doing our research, a lot of people sadly didn't believe asthma is that concerning, which I think because we have treatments and stuff, people don't really think it's too concerning, but it really is a pretty awful disease to have, especially in childhood. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people also, unfortunately, have a stigma that people should just move away from the area. So they don't want to deal with fixing this problem because they think, oh, people, if it's that bad, just move away. Like it's your fault and like you pointed out these people who are affected are the farm workers who live there because they work there and people who can't afford to move so definitely I think is a huge health disparity in this area
1: Mm-hmm. yeah so, so how so, yeah so I just wanted to comment on that um So we hear actually quite frequently, healthcare providers. uh, So most of the work we do is with caregivers, Latinx and indigenous Mexican caregivers of children who have either asthma or so they have a diagnosis of asthma or else they have been prescribed by a healthcare provider, a pediatrician, for example, medication for Mm -hmm. asthma and asthma symptoms. So what we Often here is that caregivers will say, well my pediatrician or my healthcare provider told us that really it is the environment that's affecting your child's health and that you should move. But when you tell an individual who's living in poverty that the solution is to move, that's really problematic because that the assumption is is that the individual has the resources and the finances to move, which often is not the case. That's why they're living close to the sea.
0: Exactly. And that's, that's part of why we wanted to do this work, because it's expensive. I mean, finding a new house right now is expensive. And then also moving in itself is expensive. And people just don't have those resources. So they're Mm -hmm. really just putting their, sadly, putting their children at at risk, and they don't want to, but, Mm -hmm. you know, there's no other way And also for people who think that asthma is not that big of a deal, because I mean, honestly, so many people deal with asthma nowadays, it is a big deal. And that's just kind of an early symptom, I want to call it like an early sign of air pollution. But as our research found, air pollution leads to a lot of other problems, like long term problems, such as early death or other lung diseases, such as cancer or Mm -hmm. heart disease, even so. Looking mm-hmm. at the early effects, asthma is kind of just a pre, pre-sign that you, your environment's not good for you.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And one of the things that we find in our work um, is that asthma is usually just one of several other conditions that ch- chronic health conditions that children have. So um, nosebleeds, it's something that's really common as well as allergies. And that could be skin allergies. It could be hair loss. It could be watery, runny noses. Um, what I have found most fascinating is the nosebleeds because that's something that seems to be, um, really unique and that it, it comes and goes and it depends on the seasonal weather patterns. And one of the things that, um, we're currently doing is partnering with a, a physicist who has expertise in atmospheric dynamics. And one of the things that we're learning is that, um, the particulate matter size and concentration, that that actually can contribute to nosebleeds. And so what we have learned in the past is that pediatricians or healthcare providers, they often tell parents, oh, well, it's not that big of a deal. You know, your child just picks their nose or it's very common among children to have nosebleeds. And yes, that may be correct. However, in the conditions that these children are living in because of the environmental factors, they, they tend to have more severe no, nosebleeds and more frequent nosebleeds that seem to be very much connected to the environment.
0: Wow, that's fascinating because even with the brief research we've done, I have not read one, anything about nosebleeds being a sign or a factor. So that's very good to know. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad you're bringing that information to our listeners. So thank you for that. Mm-hmm. So looking forward and looking to help this problem, do you have any ways or anything you found in your research on possibilities to support the farm workers who are dealing with this health disparity?
1: Yeah, so I think this goes back to something you mentioned earlier, where people may not recognize that, I guess, how would you you put it, just the the importance of recognizing that Children who are living with asthma, their quality of life is very poor, especially the children that we, uh, we don't work directly with children, we work with caregivers, but they talk about their experiences of caring for their children. And so we know that the children's quality of life is very poor. There's lots of absences, for instance, from school. Um, Their parents make choices about not permitting them to go outside based on weather patterns or climatic changes. And what we also know is that the quality of life of the caregivers is quite poor. And so when you think about um, this population, we do our work within primarily, well, in farm working communities. And so all of the individuals that we interview, they are connected in some way to agriculture and agricultural labor. Either they are directly farm workers themselves or else they are in a farm working family or they're in a farm working community. So when I think about the importance of this and what we can do for farm working populations is just to consider what resources are we providing them with and what public health information and knowledge do they need so that they can better care for their, their children and so that they can also think about how the work that they might be doing could be contributing potentially to their children's health So we know, for instance, a lot of times farm workers, if they're working in the fields, before entering the house, they will make sure to take their clothes off so that they don't bring any chemicals into the home because that could affect their child, particularly if their child already has asthma. Um, So we think that public health information and dissemination is really important within these communities and making sure that it's accessible, that it's not just print material, that we use radio, that we use um, social media, that we communicate it in. Uh, the language that's needed and along the sea, the Salton Sea, the primary languages that are spoken is Spanish and Puripecha, which is an indigenous language for Michoacan.
0: Wow, I, I didn't even know that that language was primarily spoken over them. That's great to know. I knew Spanish was, but mm-hmm. that also is a great thing to take into consideration. And the tip about um, taking off the clothes before they bring in the chemicals and pesticides, that is also really good information. Mm-hmm. And I think um our group is finding using HEPA filters and wearing masks also help. But I mean, you can't wear a mask mm-hmm. when you're working in the fields and not everyone can access a HEPA filter. So definitely there's still work as far as the air pollution concern that we can do to find new ways. And I think, like you said, just advocating and raising awareness is a great start.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah so feel- thank you for that. Yeah, I, I just I do want to add that. um So my colleague and I. Dr. Will Porter, who is that, um, uh, I guess atmospheric physicist, not quite sure if I said that correctly, um, and also our community collaborator, whose name is Maria Conchita-Posay. We just received funds from um, a philanthropic organization to teach community members how to build their own air filtration systems and so that they can put them into their homes. It's specific to COVID to reduce um, transmission of COVID-19, but we are planning some research around understanding whether this also reduces symptoms for children with asthma, having these home filtration systems.
0: That's great. That's incredible. Um, I would like to get more info about that, honestly. And then I will let that, I will post that info to our Instagram page. So any listeners could access that. I will get in touch with that and get that info out
1: so that's awesome
0: great you said you said that they're teaching people how to make their own filtration systems
1: yeah so do-it-yourself filtration system which uses um like the home depot box fans and then filters Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. wow
0: that's great that's awesome
1: Mm -hmm.
0: all right and so like you were saying, asthma rates um, are definitely increased in that area. And asthma also, do you think it leads to an increase in like childhood obesity due to not being able to be as active?
1: Yeah, I, I imagine, yeah. absolutely. Um, because what caregivers share with us, and actually right now we're doing a photo voice project. And so um, we ask parents, specifically during um, more severe weather events, how do they care for their child and whether their child's symptoms? And when they notice that there's going to be a dust storm or when they notice that, you know, it just isn't the right environment for their child to go outside or not, not the right time of day, that they, their children are stuck inside. And that's really harmful for children. Or they might be that they might be at school and um the school staff might decide that because the child has a history of nosebleeds or the child has a history or current diagnosis for instance of asthma that they will not permit the child to go outside because maybe they've had a recent child or a recent asthma attack and so when you think about the limitations that are placed on these children's lives i mean absolutely their physical activity suffers and so that could contribute to obesity it also it must be very difficult being a child and knowing that you're different from the other children and um eating is one thing that they can do and so who knows maybe there's overeating among children because of the stress that they experience and not being able to really move about physically
0: yeah definitely they're kind of interlinked and then it just creates more health problems and concerns so it definitely shows how the environment and what's going on in the environment can lead to different health problems and worsen health problems. Mhm. So as far as reaching, so our group really wants to reach the salt and sea and the farm worker communities. Do you have any advice for anyone who wants to outreach and raise awareness on how they could find the groups and the resources to outreach
1: to that area? Mhm. I think what's really important is to recognize that, um... The community already is very active around environmentally induced health conditions and thinking about who are the leaders in the community and how could you connect and learn from the leaders. And I say learn and I emphasize that because it's really important that we don't, as individuals who are outside or external to the community, think that we have the solutions or the answers and that we really consider what resources can we bring, what needs to happen in the community, not from our agenda, but from the agenda of the community themselves. And I think that this is really important, especially in not reproducing health inequities, um, because when we think about the work, for instance, that we might wanna do as educators or as students, we're really engaging in more public, global public health, even though it's local, it's global in the sense of this is an immigrant community and we have to consider how have they been disadvantaged? How are they marginalized? And how can we as individuals who have resources and have access to knowledge, how can we um, empower the community in a way that makes sense for them, not in a way that we think they should um, improve their conditions or, or however, whatever framework we might bring to to engagement.
0: Yeah, that's a fantastic point. And I think part of that also has to do with the language barrier, like you were saying. So I think it's very important to make them feel included and make it so they, it's accessible. I think that's a big, a big thing also, like you were saying. Because if they can't, like, read the information in their language, then.
1: And I think it's more of an issue to reframe it to, well, how can you be included? Not an issue of how can we include them? Because that, that then sets up this otherness. It's the assumption that how can you learn? And how can you become a part of the community so that you can better serve the community?
0: Yeah, that's a great tip learning who your audience is, learning who and what they need help with. And it's a great point. Mm-hmm. All right. So I think we've covered all of our topics
1: for the day.
0: Was there anything else you'd like to add in?
1: Um, well, I think it's a really important topic um, that you all are focusing on in terms of air quality and breathing. It affects all of us especially those of us who are living in Southern California. And it's particularly an important topic along the Salton Sea because of the um, vulnerabilities of certain populations and specifically the Latino and the indigenous Mexican populations living along the sea, that there are multiple factors that contribute to health disparities for them.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much for all this information. I feel like I've learned a lot. And I love the tip you gave about how people can make their own filtrations and all the advice and all the info you gave. Thank you so much. And if anyone wants to find out more about Anthony's research, a quick Google search. And she's doing so much work and really trying to help close health inequalities and gaps in our health and health disparities. And she's doing fantastic work with UCR School of Medicine. So I just want to really thank you for all your work you're doing to make it a better, better community for all of us.
1: You're welcome. And thank you for inviting me. Of course. Thank you so much for making time.
0: Have a great day. Thanks. Thank you.